Alrighty, welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast in which we analyze Man of Steel one individual minute at a time. My name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And I'm Nate, and you can also find me on social media uh, at NoClutchNate, as well as my Instagram page, uh, Clutch Figures. And I am Joe Dorowski, and I come from the Protagonist Podcast, or you can follow me on social media by following at J Dorowski, and that's D-A-R-O-W-S-K-I. Cool. Solid. Alrighty, today on Man of Steel Minute, we're talking about number 43, and today it starts with uh, Cal taking off with the scout ship, um, and then it ends with Lois reviewing her story with Perry White. So Perry White is introduced in this minute. Yes. Um... Yeah, like I said before, I don't remember the sequence at all. It almost seems forgettable. I feel like there needed to be more of a, a driving into the fact that these are humans experiencing an extraterrestrial event for the first time. Because as this, well, we didn't know that this was going to end up into a DC Cinematic Universe. But still, the fact that th- this is supposed to be a grounded Superman story and humans are very they've been isolated for so long and this is a first contact kind of thing this needs to drive in the 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 sense of we're not alone in the universe this changes everything um and i guess the music does a great job the it's visually yeah slightly appealing but maybe there needed to be it just feels like there's it's missing something to to just sell the whole thing of like mm-hmm. a big wow moment like yeah. a big like it needs to be a bigger impact yeah like like wow the answer is here like yes there is life on earth this just happened like something to punctuate it and mm-hmm. i and I don't, I don't know what's missing um because i i don't want to say like adding something is the answer um but there is something it's not fully connecting now it is cool it is an interesting scene um but i i, I don't think it's there yet yeah, I, I agree uh, with all those points. And I like the idea that you had guys had mentioned the last minute, if we had rearranged some of the, the storytelling. And, I mean, this movie is already engaging in a lot of nonlinear storytelling, so I don't think it would disrupt the the flow of this particular film to have moved a lot of that prologue content to, to after Clark flies off of the ship. We might have ha- had more impact for the audience. Yeah, it would have mm-hmm. kept with the same flashback sequences that we constantly get in this movie. Yeah, so maybe that's what it is. Maybe, yeah, it's our own... Um, tolerance of alien in the film that we've already this means so little compared to 20 minutes of <laughs> krypton mm-hmm. um so now i had a question yeah um once the ship is taking off now <laughs> and i don't know if this is if this is sikowski's job but shouldn't somebody in that compound be tracking this object like even if it's just you know a, a, a heat signature uh, something unless like it's it scrambles uh, all these electronics or anything in the area and it completely shut down the whole site but it almost seems like somebody's <laughs> in a real world someone should be tracking this object and you know sending drones after it sending something like oh it you know when it started going north so try to find an object that this massive and is heading north north I don't know. I mean, it kind of feels like, I mean, I assume in our universe and also in what we have in this DC universe, uh, the military would be able to track a ship that size, right? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, I mean, I'm not trying to downplay the escape of the scout ship or anything, but it, it kind of just seems 
maybe that is the kind of driving force of of the humans being in such awe. No one yeah, thought was... to like, oh, hit, hit the button, hit the tracker. Like no one, even well, not everybody's Batman. In this you feel like it should be like satellites are automatically saying, hey, there's a massive object in. Are we in the Arctic or Antarctic in this? Canada. I remember. Oh, it's, it's in Canada. <laughs> yeah, that's where it's at. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. maybe that. That's the only thing I can say is like maybe because it's such a powerful moment for humans not powerful for them but like it's such a like jaw-dropping minute that they're they don't know what to do like there's a ship an alien (laughs) ship is just taking off what you're kidding me and it just like leaves and you're you're just awestruck you're like what just sakowski's pissing his pants in the back like everybody's (laughs) just in a fetal position like what just happened yeah by the time this episode drops, this might be the most might not be the most timely reference, but uh, we recently had the Oscar awards with the famous fiasco of the wrong best picture being read, mm-hmm. and it, there's articles out there now that are saying like they had things in place for if this ever goes wrong, and everyone forgot to do them because it was so shocking when it went wrong. Yeah, like, I heard like, that guy got there, fired. <laughs> yeah, there there were things for them to be doing to fix this particular problem, but everyone just kind of stood frozen in shock that, that something had gone so wrong for them that they forgot their training basically yeah and that's almost we said the same thing uh for a scene in this film with the school bus so, like everyone has drills to like oh yeah there's yeah. a bus you know you know what to do in a like if a bus is in trouble but then it happens and people are just freaking out and you know it's only because of clark kent that they're able to save the the school bus but people have like procedures for these things but then it doesn't doesn't no one does it because they're panicking yeah um yeah. Do you think Sikowski lost his job? No, he didn't lose <laughs> his job. I don't think he lost his job. I mean, he did let two people get into the ship without him noticing and the ship leave without him doing anything about it. Yeah. I feel Those like, are if, some, like you had one job, Sikowski. <laughs> and... If anything, they keep you closer because you were involved. First, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all right. so, like I was watching um, – I've been watching the show Homeland and like they're like CIA and all that mm-hmm. and – they talk about like this girl's getting in too deep with this like web of like terrorism and stuff like that and she's trying to figure out what goes where she gets so fanatic about it and obsessed about solving the mystery that they almost fire her and i was like well who fires someone with that much obsession to find something out like you would want to keep them because what do you you can't just fire a cia agent like you can't (laughs) just like you're not because you gotta kill them you're like you're like letting someone go with so much information yeah. Like, don't you want that person to be even closer to you? Well, it was like how we talked about when Jonathan Kent took the command key to the to the local college, and that guy didn't. That guy's dead. Jonathan the Kent. Middle <laughs> yeah. That guy's dead. Jonathan killed oh, him on the way out. I'm glad you guys out. talked about that, because I've always wondered, what happened to that guy who said, this is alien metal, and oh, then that's, man. like, he didn't make a career out of that? Yeah, no. Jonathan <laughs> Kent just already had the piano wire in his pocket, and as he was leaving and flip, flipping the lights off, he came up behind him and... That ties up that loose end. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Pun, also, pun intended. Oh, this has a this rock has an S on it, and it's not from this planet? Yeah, it, it's a carved rock. It's not from Earth. I've just made my career forever, is what that guy <laughs> yeah. has to be thinking. Um, yeah. yeah. He, like, just got off the phone with his wife, and he's like, man, Doris, you're never going to believe this. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you all about it when I get home. Never goes back home. That's it. Jonathan Kent, the murderer. <laughs> He's on the milk carton. Oh, small yeah. milk carton missing. <laughs> missing professor from Kansas State. Oh, man. Um, maybe that guy becomes Metallo's creator. 
He's so obsessed with metal rock. I don't know. Screw it. <laughs> I'm not getting into we'll it. Get you that, that whole character arc was so, kind of destroyed in so this, this universe. Leads into basically this this is where the film starts to shift into Lois's point of view. Yeah. It becomes more of a Lois Lane being the the protagonist hunting down an alien. Mm-hmm. Um which is cool. I like that idea. I think it's really interesting to do the film that way. Um, it would have been cool to see the whole film kind of done that way instead of like, again, this goes back, man, I keep dogging on the prologue, but it's so cool, but just move it and make the whole movie a Lois Lane tracking down an alien, like human point of view stuff. So, so you wanted the, like, I mean, I don't even want to go so far as to say main character shift, but it's not a Superman movie. It's, it's a Lois Lane investigative reporter movie. Well, particularly when they're trying to do this as a alien first contact film that makes a lot more sense what you're describing right now than what we have (laughs) yeah um but it's okay to have you know scenes where it is just focused on on kal-el like i i enjoy that but it seems weird to shift it now into the the second act well maybe that's the point maybe the second act is supposed to be lois lane yeah that's what i was gonna say like even if you put them kind of reverse that where the first act could have been lois lane then you definitely would then the have. Second act has to would, be. Yeah, it had to be Cal All right, good his point. point of view. Good so point. maybe this was a problem that they, you know, saw and, and had to deal with when they were making the movie. So first act is one of them. Second yeah. act is the other person. Third act is both of them. Yeah, and okay. yeah, conflict resolution and whatnot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so this starts with like pretty much like her narrating her article to Perry White. Which yeah. we're about to meet in right. the very end of the minute. Um, or barely, really. She says, um, and I forget the exact words, but she's saying... What Colonel Hardy's team surmised yeah. was a Soviet Yeah, what submarine. they thought was a Soviet-era submarine. <laughs> Nobody on yeah, Colonel Hardy's I team thought that. So <laughs> that was so mad when I heard that. It was just <laughs> Lois. It's like already right there. You're a liar, yeah. lady. Come on. Yeah. Like, Because she, she walks in and she says, is it a Soviet submarine? Isn't she the one that says that? Yeah. yeah. And they're like, yeah. nope. It's bigger than that. They immediately <laughs> shut her down and make her feel stupid about they say it. It's older and bigger. Yeah. yeah. Like, he's just like, no way. That's not a Soviet era submarine. But she writes in here that that's what they thought. And it's like, <laughs> were you doing it to just piss them off if it, if it got <laughs> printed? Like, oh, yeah. When she was writing it, she was like, that's so stupid. Someone would say something like that. And it's like, yeah, you said it. You, you're the one who said it. Like, who are you trying to kid? Like, we know you're the one with that dumb idea, and they made you feel stupid for it. Yeah. So now she's writing it to make them seem stupid for even thinking that. It's just yeah. like, oh, my God. Uh, man, maybe that's that's the whole pen is mightier than the sword aspect. Exactly. No, yeah. that literally is. That's like the, that's the lowest lane. There's like – Twisting the we're, story. We're like, yeah, she's a good journalist, and this is proof that she's a really good journalist, but this also proves that she's a terrible person to hang out with. <laughs> And it's like, no one She's going to be the star of every story. Like, if she's in the room and something happens, when she retells the story, she's going to be the one who knew exactly what was going on and was the star of the story. Yeah, it's like the definition of... I mean, it it is a character trait that we do see even in the books of of her. She always is that, like I said, she's at the right place at the right time, and she twists the story into her favor. Which is what reporters are supposed to not do. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Reporters should never be the story, and she is often the story. Um, Just real quick, filmmaking-wise, there is something here that I enjoy, which is uh, in 
filmmaking, there's a term that's diegetic sound or uh, and non-diegetic. Diegetic is what's happening in the film universe and everyone there can hear it. Non-diegetic is things like the film score that makes no sense that there'd be a film score during these events. Like no one there was, is hearing the film score. That's for the audience. And this opening monologue, or this monologue starts as non-diegetic because you're like, whoa, what's this voiceover that we're getting all of a sudden? But it becomes diegetic when we get finally to the scene and we see that she's reading an article to Perry White. Mm-hmm. But when it just starts as a voiceover over other images, it's non-diegetic. And I love it when filmmakers do that, where they take, sometimes you'll see, uh, like you're hearing piano music and it's non-diegetic. And then eventually you get to a scene of someone sitting at the piano playing it becomes the non-diegetic becomes diegetic. So I enjoy that. Even if the words themselves are infuriating, as you say. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good, it's a good scene. I like, like I said, I'll, I'll tag onto that where (laughs) I always like that. You kind of pinpoint there's a helicopter flying in the foreground but how is that helicopter being shot by another helicopter? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's interesting. I, no, I do like that. I, and the transition, um, yeah, it's. I'd say it's a. Uh, it's pretty damn cool. Um, but they show them finding Lois Lane, mm-hmm. and she's on this ice. So we're assuming that Clark just left her there. Not overnight, but very recently, because <laughs> well, we yeah, that she would have died if she was left out there. Yeah, exactly. Unless, I mean, she passed out unless the ship was hovering close by for daybreak to happen, because it seems like it's what eight or nine o'clock in the morning at this point with the sun shining that bright, and I don't know, it might be even eleven o'clock in the morning or something like that, where she she could have froze to death laying on that ice. I mean, she just wakes up at this moment. I assume she passed out from the pain. Her body is quite traumatized. She's not, like, uh, in a strong and hearty state. (laughs) Yeah. So he's just, I mean, he's just like, all right, I'm leaving you here. I'm going to call an anonymous tip and say that there's a a person laying on an ice shelf in the middle of nowhere. Uh, Then they'll handle it from there. Yeah. But, no, it's, yeah, it's kind of got a lot of questions there, but it's okay. Um, So they find her. She, I guess... And then this leads into the, I guess this leads into the Daily Planet. I guess I'm not missing anything. Yeah, Wait, that's is there anything it. else? In no, this? I didn't want to talk about Perry White just yet. I kind of wanted to save that for 44. But um, well, again, this is just this this part raises more questions than than it has. Just how long was she on that ice shelf? Uh, is anything? Is, does she still need to go to a hospital? Are they are there military medics that are going to check her up and all these things? Yada yada, yeah. Just normal day to day. Like, in what moment did Clark move her to that ice shelf? (laughs) Yeah. Did he have to park the ship? Is there like you know that levitating beam that shoots down and she just kind of, you know, softly fell on the ice? Did he walk her out and place her down and was like, all right, yeah, (laughs) use her cell phone to call the the military? Does the scout ship have phones on it? How did they find her? Um, Just laid laid her down and said, "Fingers crossed, someone will find you." But I gotta go. What is also it's like cool about this scene is it transitions into the next act, which is we have finally made it to seeing the Daily Planet in this universe. Mm-hmm. Perry White, Lois Lane, like get used to this because we're gonna see a lot more of it, um, kind of thing. Like this is the next act. Yeah, and it transitions. Now, are you calling it Act Two or Three? At I'm this point? calling it Act Two. Because Act One is this whole Clark arc. Krypton to through Clark? Because I kind of view Krypton as kind of its own. I mean, it's called the prologue, but it's so long it feels like its own act. 
I, I just call it a prologue and it's not part of act one part of the structure okay i can yeah. see that um so I, that's what i think of it as um so how many acts do you think this movie has in a whole just three if we're if we're going off that basis the clark voyage with this whole scout ship bit lois lane on the investigation thing and then after battle of smallville into black zero event is that just all act three well, the transition from Act Two to Three is the the Kryptonians. The... Kryptonians making contact with the human or Zod. I was gonna say like the whole thing with Cal and Lois on the Kryptonian ship. Mm-hmm. That's transitioning from Two to Three. Okay. And then the fight in Smallville is in Act Three. Yeah, Smallville is the beginning of Act Three. Uh, Metropolis is the end of Act Three. Okay. All right. I'm. I'm. I'm yeah. I'm okay with that. But this is the start of Act 2. And yes. it starts with Lois narrating the end of Act 1 and then switching into her at the Daily Planet finishing her article. Mm-hmm. So I think that, that adds more, uh, like, that adds to that whole transition. And I think it's great. Um, so, but yeah, we're here at the Daily Planet. This is iconic for Superman's lore in general. Um, we're introduced to Perry White, who's, you know, it's not how we normally see Perry White, right? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have a little bit more on that in the next minute, but this is just to say one thing. Lawrence Fishburne is the first African-American gentleman to actually portray Perry White on screen. Yeah. So we are introduced to Lawrence Fishburne. Um, if you don't know him, living under a rock. <laughs> Matrix, of course. Uh, recently, John Wick 2. Uh, he, he plays a recurring character in a bunch of CSI shows. Um, I'm alive. Yeah, Predators. <laughs> he was in this movie, Predators. Um, <laughs> he also, if we want to talk more superhero stuff, voice of Silver Surfer. Oh, yeah. And Fantastic Four. Uh, Four. Yeah. So that two. was really cool. Yeah. Did you say ew? Uh, no, I said, I said Fantastic Four 2, and then I was trying to remember what the subtitle was. So oh. Fantastic Four 2, is it Rise of the Silver Surfer? Yes, yeah. it is. Okay. Which I didn't have a problem with that film. Really? Yeah, no, it's... To me, that film is on the same level as Green Lantern. And I don't want to say just because it's, you know, giant Galactus and, you know, uh, uh, Parallax are the same kind of being or whatever that they saw. Missed opportunity? um, (laughs) I don't know. I've never been a fan of Fantastic Four. I don't know why. It just never caught my attention. I'm a big fan of team-up books and team-up characters and all that such. But Fantastic Four, it wasn't... I liked X-Men. I liked, uh, you know, that kind of ragtag of, of group of people with, with weird powers. I didn't like this single, you know, group of people that just, uh, I don't know. It's like it, the Avengers kind of overshadowed the Fantastic Four in every single aspect, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm not a fan of Fantastic Four, but I'm a huge fan of Doctor Doom. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. Doctor Doom is arguably the most important character in the Marvel universe, but uh, they they didn't they didn't do him justice in in those movies. The Silver Surfer, though, I really liked that version of him, and I, I liked really it in liked the film. How, yeah, yeah, he was great, and I think they even talked about doing there were talks of doing a solo film with that character after they did the film, but you know nothing came of that. Well, yeah, well, and I, I mean now they can't. Nobody. Yeah, nobody cares. It's, it's, nobody cares, <laughs> and they don't own the rights to it anymore. He was. Him and Doom are arguably the best part of that movie, and I would have loved to see more of that. Um, 
And I think, honestly, and I'm not trying to just sound like a fanboy or anything, but Zack Snyder would have done a great job with Silver Surfer's solo film because he's touched characters like Dr. Manhattan and Superman and, like, yeah. his doubt-conflicted Superman. So I feel like he could have done a really nice job with Silver Surfer. Yeah. Yeah, I think the tone of Silver Surfer's solo comics, if you've ever read them, tends to be uh, much more introspective and angsty, and mm-hmm. uh, n- whereas Fantastic Four is often more bright and explorative, and like they're pushing the boundaries of the known universe, which they've never captured in the films yeah. <laughs> with Fantastic Four. Um, but I could see Zack Snyder, Silver Surfer being more interesting. Like, would, it's a better would, match tonal wise. Would you want it to to go off the basis of the newer uh, who's it, Dan Slott? I think uh, Dan Slott. Of- would you, I, that one's fun like uh, like it's kind of taking the fantastic four tone and putting on the silver silver but like the early stan lee silly silver 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 uh, yeah is pretty strongly said like that's some of my favorite writing that i've ever done uh that's good. is is that early silver silver and i actually had um some students read that in a class i was teaching they they had to read early marvel comics and all of them said silver surfer was their favorite and they'd read the, the origin of spider-man the origin of fantastic four like it was a collection of marvel first and a lot of them uh, were saying like oh i want more of the silver surfer where it's like super introspective yeah. and philosophical about humanity um yeah. stanley really trying to wrestle with deep ideas in the trappings of this absurd silver clad guy on a surfboard that floats through space mm-hmm it's cool, yeah. I, I dig I, that. Yeah, I think he was the most at the t- especially in those early uh, versions of him. He was the most uh, conflicted character that Marvel had at the time. Yeah, because yeah. when I think of a Silver Surfer f- uh, film, I think of the scene in Watchmen with Doctor Manhattan on the planet by himself when he's on Mars. Yeah, and I feel like that would be you know I'd go see something like that, and then he has a fight with Galactus, and it's like. Boom, sold. Like, I, how much does that ticket cost? Like, where's my wallet? <laughs> he would get in a fight with Galactus and lose and be a slave. But, uh, like, that would be the biggest well, thing. Well, that's how it would yeah. end. Yeah. And then you'd be like, Yeah, it, it'd be like a reverse hero story. And Silver Surfer just lends itself to visual spectacle. And that's one thing, even if you complain about some aspects of Zack Snyder's filmmaking, you have to say the man can create some visual spectacle. That yeah, He has, oh, yeah, t- he has yeah. talent I mean, for that. Yeah. Fingers, fingers crossed for Green Lantern. <laughs> Um, well, Aquaman too, because he's kind of backseat driving that thing. And beautiful. From what we've seen so far, like it'll be pretty beautiful to see. <laughs> yeah, that far we have enough confidence for that. It's the same kind of rung as you would imagine any sort of extraterrestrial or space thing, because you know our oceans are just as unknown. Yeah, and going back to like the Krypton prologue is beautiful to look at. Yeah, of course. In a tragic way. Um, so I think I covered everything with Perry White. I don't think I'm missing it. Or I'm sorry, Lawrence Fishburne. Um, he does a great job in this DC Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going to be in Justice League because of a scheduling conflicts with John Wick 2. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my opinion, Perry White was the comic relief in this film and Dawn of Justice. Yeah, it's a stretch to say comic relief, but yeah, there isn't another character that, you know, has that. Until we get Ezra Miller's Flash, uh, we won't. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's more like uh, smirk at his delivery than laugh out loud at anything he's doing comic relief. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, I've had moments where I've been like, oh, that's pretty funny. I've never never really laughed at uh, during a movie. I think it's 
kind of a weird. <laughs> never, never. Yeah, I've never, never laughed at a movie. Unless it's like super bad, <laughs> then I'm like, that's hilarious. <laughs> but never in a superhero film am I like, oh my god, that was so funny. The way Tony Stark delivered that line, I've never had that moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never been that. No, guy. I agree with you. I think we're more uh, I feel like too, every, too big of fans of, like, of the comic universe yeah. to, to find humor in that. We want to find. Everything is just kind of like. Coolness. Yeah. I just. I, like you said, I just smirk at every joke. I'm just mm-hmm. uh, that was neat. That was clever. Yeah. And that's it. And Perry White does that for me. Um, I think everything he says is, you know, hilarious. Uh, especially in Dawn of Justice. Really, really a funny guy. Yeah. When he's on screen. And just the guy, Lawrence Fishburne himself. Hilarious guy. And in interviews you watch him on. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a great guy. Um, so I really enjoy his presence in the film. Um, like you said with Flash, it does make sense. It's not something I worry about that he's not in Justice League because you have characters like Flash. <laughs> There'll then, be enough going on in that. <laughs> yeah, and also, so is, so does Batman have humor in the, in the sense that, like, <laughs> I didn't see much humor from him in, in Batman versus Superman. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think it's something about Ben Affleck's delivery of lines that you you smirk a little bit. You're like, that was witty or that was clever. Yeah, so. I'm not really worried about it, but I do love Lawrence Fishburne as an actor and his portrayal of Perry White in these films. Phenomenal. Um, but that's all I had. Yeah, I got a lot more on him in tomorrow's minute, so we can save that. All right. Cool. All righty, guys. We're going to go ahead and wrap up this minute. Uh, if you love what you hear, don't forget to rate, subscribe, You know, leave us a review on iTunes, cool stuff like that. Check us out on DC uh, EU Minute on all social media. Protagonist Podcast with Joe. Don't forget to check that out. And we'll catch you tomorrow here on DC Cinematic Minute.